The Holy Gospel according to Luke. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink? Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. The gospel of the Lord. Praise right, the congregation to be seated. I don't always do this, but I noticed today that we had a gap in our readings. And the only reason I noticed is that we spent the last several weeks, weeks reading all of chapter 16. And so I noticed when we started at verse 5 this week, huh, that's four. I'm not a math major, but that's four left out, right? And so I went back and read the four that were left out, and I think it provides us with some important context. And so I'm just going to read those couple of verses we left out. And so just a little more context. In, in chapter 15, which we read a, a portion of before we started 16, we are going in order. Jesus was talking to the scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests and things like that. And Jesus' ministry often takes a pretty predictable pattern where he'll do ministry in public and then he'll talk to his disciples in private and they'll ask him questions that he then somehow answers, sometimes more satisfying for them than others. And so this is now in private with the disciples following all those parables that he told them in chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, Occasions for stumbling are bound to come, but woe to anyone by whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If another disciple sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. And the apostle said to Jesus, increase our faith. You know, that, doesn't that put just a little bit different spin? Because a lot of times when, I, when we hear this in church, because we don't have the context of the previous verses, you know, there's the, the stained glass window pictures of Jesus, where Jesus is standing, usually in a position that looks really uncomfortable because of the way the art is, right? But Jesus is standing there and looking all peaceful and mild and or the disciples are, are standing there looking up at him, you know, just kind of like this. And so we, we have this image of Jesus sometimes in the way we talk about how Jesus preaches and teaches that Jesus was always kind of this really soft-spoken, kind of sensitive. And he, Jesus is sensitive to the needs of people. He's not always sensitive to the way people feel. And if you look at the way he talks to the Pharisees, we see lots of evidence of this, right? And so the reason I think that this verse that come, these verses that come before today's reading are so important is we have just had all through chapter 16, Jesus saying some pretty challenging things about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and what it means to follow where he is leading. And so remember, we had the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, the par- and you know, the parable of the lost son and the father and the older brother. We had the parable of the, of the un- unfaithful 
uh, manager of the landowner's wealth. And we, we've had all these parables that then lead us to understand that the ethics and the values of the kingdom of God don't always match the things that are values and ethics in our society because God has a different measure, God has a different metric. And so after all these things, which are hard teachings, Jesus then ends up with the softball, you know, don't be a stumbling block for anyone because it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than it would be to be a stumbling block. And if you're like me and you hear this, you can probably think of three or four times this week when you might have helped somebody to stumble or wished that they would, you know, you, I'm a human being. And so I hear this and I, I think to myself how challenging this teaching really is. It's, and not only that, but there's another piece of this teaching that I find really particularly challenging. And it's, it's that command that when someone has done something against you and they seek forgiveness, you must forgive. Isn't that an interesting thing when we hear you must forgive? Now, I'll give this caveat. I don't think this means enter back into an abusive relationship where somebody actually hurts you. I, there are moments where you have to learn to love people, but it's better to love them from afar, right? But think about how we talk about sin and the way people do things. You know, we, we often will think of, when we, when we think how God forgives, well, well, God will forgive you anything. And then from the other, from the other end of it, it's, but if you keep doing that, you know what happens. And probably you can fill in the blank of, well, you know what happens. And it's never good when someone says that to you. You know what happens doesn't mean I get ice cream, right? You know what happens means something bad. But, you know, then again, if we see what Jesus says that we are supposed to do, and we are God's children, and the Father commands the children to do the things that are important to the family, what if that actually means you know what will happen when we repent, God will forgive us. Some of that kind of goes into our understanding of, of what it means to, to be a good person and be someone who follows Jesus, because we, we tend to think of it in terms, especially when we think of repentance and forgiveness, of, of this kind of transactional relationship where God's got a leisure and, and God's gonna keep the numbers and eventually that ledger is going to fill up to the point that it's just going to tip out of our favor. But, you know, when we, when we have the confession during the, during the service, when we say those words that I think now I've repeated to you three times because I think they're so central to our faith, but also I think they're central to what we're hearing in chapters 15, 16, and 17 in Luke, you know, when we, when we repent of what we're doing by saying words like, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, what we're really doing in this is not just digging into the fact that I'm a mean, nasty, horrible person, I'm chief of sinners and all the rest of those things and, you know, God knows that and God wants me to feel bad about that. You know, and I think sometimes when we talk about repentance, because that word tends to have baggage in our culture, we think of repentance as this thing we need to do because God is angry and God is just waiting to get us. And the thing that I think sometimes we forget is our repentance does not transform God's anger into love. Our repentance isn't something that moves God. We can't move God. God is who God is regardless of what we do. 
But what repentance does is it moves our hearts. It, it moves the way we understand ourselves. It, it changes the image that we see in the mirror so that all of a sudden we can begin to see ourselves in a way that's a little more like how God sees us. When, when we repent, when we ask for forgiveness, when we say those words that we say in the confession, we don't change God, we change us so that we can hear what God is already telling us as a part of the truth of who we are through the waters of baptism. We are God's children and we are beloved. And because we are God's children and we are beloved and the family values say that we forgive people who seek forgiveness, if somebody asks you for, for, for forgiveness, Jesus says you must forgive. Now that's easy for those, for those times when someone has disappointed us once. When someone disappointed us once, you know, everyone messes up. We all need a chance, right? But, you know, sometimes when someone has disappointed us two or three times and we say, oh, well, okay, I'll forgive you this time. And then the seventh and eighth time and, well, I guess I'll forgive you. But at some point, you know, it, it's just kind of human nature to say, wait a minute, buddy, Right? Because you, you seem to be making bad decisions on a regular basis that affect me, we might need to reevaluate this relationship a little bit, right? It reminds me, there's a, a television show called Single Parents, and one of the parents in this television show is somebody who just, his role in the show is to perpetually make bad decisions. And so he had been in a relationship with the mother of his child who left and left him with his child, which is part of why the show is funny because he should never be in charge of anybody, maybe even himself. And when they first started dating, he got her name tattooed on his body and it said Zara. And so another character, Douglas, who's very straight laced, is a plastic surgeon, removes tattoos. And Douglas says something that's a little bit uncharacteristically profound for him. He removes the tattoo but leaves the Z and Miggy, the irresponsible person, says to him, I thought you were good at this. You left the Z. And Douglas says, well, I have a scar on my forehead that, that happened when my wife, who had passed away, you know, did something and it hurt me. And I left the scar because sometimes we need a reminder of the things that are important to us. Right? That's actually pretty, pretty powerful, isn't it? When we, when we think about how there are things on our body and things in our heart, and, and the places where we used to hurt or maybe still are tender that remind us not just of our pain, but of the relationships and the love that we have too, right? And then Douglas says to Miggy, I see you have a tattoo that says sports. That's a choice you made. You know, and, and so that's what we're getting to when we get to Jesus saying, if someone sins against you seven times and asks for forgiveness seven times, you know, we also have this idea that, you know, God will forgive us for doing something once because it's a mistake, but you can't just go doing the same thing over and over and over and over again because then that's a choice we've made. But what I hear also in the way Jesus talks about forgiveness, you know, here it's seven, and other places it's seven times 70, and other places it's 77, you know, by the time you get to seven times 70, that is an absolutely ridiculous number of times to forgive somebody. You know, that number, I think, rather than being multiplied out and being what, 490 or something, I'm not a math major, but that's maybe close. 
you know, rather than being the literal number, what Jesus is saying is that forgiveness is something that's a renewable resource that we have been given to be caretakers of in the kingdom of God. Forgiveness is something that we do. And, and so I think, thinking about what had just happened before all this, that the Pharisees and the scribes and the good church people had been making life challenging for the disciples. I think the disciples were, were maybe, and I'm, I'm reading into this and, make, and, and just kind of thinking about it. I don't, this doesn't actually say so in the text. And so this is the gospel according to Eric. But, you know, the disciples may have just kind of been frustrated with the chief, chief priests and scribes and Pharisees, or maybe they're just people they didn't get along with and they were grumbling about it. And so Jesus sees the need to, to just go further and push this idea of forgiveness. And so Jesus gives this teaching, and after all of these parables that talk about how it is our responsibility to care for the ones who seems like it's their job to make bad decisions, the disciples are tired and they say, well, Jesus, increase our faith. And, and so they expect Jesus to say something that's going to just be nice. And so what we hear is, well, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would happen. Now, I brought with me, because I'm a visual thinker, so this is an outline of the, of the top and the root system of a mulberry tree. You know, some trees have tap roots, so they're, I guess if it's just a root that goes straight down, it's probably easier to pull up if you have the strength to do such things, although... If you've ever tried to pull up a pine sapling, you know how challenging that can be. But look at the root system on this thing. Look, how, look at all the surface area that this takes up under the ground. Think of all the dirt that these roots can, can hold. Think how heavy it would be to move it. And so if I had faith the size of a mustard seed, I could say to, say to that, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and there it would go. And then on, there's a website, that I, or there's a Facebook page I like called Everything is Free Medford, where people just give stuff away. And so one of the items that they were giving away this week was a guy took a picture of a bunch of boulders in his yard and it said, free for the taking, you must transport. You know, how much faith does it take to move those boulders? And so there's a, there's a way in which Jesus is absolutely saying to the disciples, a little bit goes a long way. If you have even just a little bit of faith, that'll get you really far. You know, I also know that Jesus has been traveling with these people for a little while. And I know for a fact, given the way the disciples argue, given the way that Jesus has to repeat himself over and over and over again, given the fact that Jesus is constantly having to remind them what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God because they fail. There's a way in which I can read this as Jesus looking at them and saying, oh man, there's, that's a choice you just made. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, then you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. You know, and there's, there's a way in which I can hear Jesus saying, I don't know that you do. And, and it's interesting how you can hear this as both law and gospel. The, the part of the scripture that convicts us, but also the part of the scripture that frees us. And I hear another something that's pretty freeing. My bet, though, really is on if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, and you do. You know, because I think Jesus is also recognizing, and again, this is the gospel according to Eric, but, you know, I think Jesus is also recognizing they wouldn't be there 
if there wasn't some faith. They wouldn't be following Jesus around and giving up their vocation and their careers. You know, Peter had a mother-in-law. That means Jesus, Peter had a family and a wife, right? And so Peter wouldn't be traveling away from his family. The disciples wouldn't be wondering where they're going to sleep that night. They wouldn't be going from town to town to town if there weren't something about what they were doing with Jesus that gave them faith and hope and inspiration and new life. And so I think there is that, and you do, have at least a little bit of faith. Then he says this really weird thing about, you know, which of you, if you have a slave who came in, would you invite them to sit down with you? You wouldn't do that. I mean, when was the last time we went to a restaurant and we ordered our food, and then when it came, we said to the waitress, oh yeah, why don't you just sit down with us and have, take a load off and, you know, don't worry about my, about my tea. Well, in the South, it's the tea here. It's whatever, the unsweet tea that, that people drink here or whatever. I don't know. You know, but, you know, come and sit down with me and don't worry about working. Anyone ever done that in a restaurant? Probably not, right? And so there, there is, again, in this, the ability to hear it with law and the ability to hear it with gospel. You know, the, Jesus says that the, the owner of the slave is going to say to them, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. And so Jesus says to the disciples, after you've done these things, you just say, I am, you know, I'm a worthless slave and I'm only doing what I'm supposed to do. And that can be the law because it can be, you know, I expect you to forgive. You know, this is the thing that you have to do. But it could also be gospel. Because how many times in our lives have we had to make so many decisions and, and choose so many different things and some of them are just not any fun you know, there are, all, there are weeks that we have where we have had to make hard decision after hard decision after hard decision, and we are tired and we are broken and we are done. Wouldn't it be nice for somebody just to make the choice for us? You know, so it's grace in the sense of this is what we must do. This is what it means to be a part of the family of God. All of a sudden, we don't have to make the choice. If somebody repents and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. It's grace because sometimes the right thing to do isn't easy, but it's obvious, and it's not necessarily something we even have to think about. We might have feelings about it, but isn't it nice sometimes just to know what we're supposed to do? So we have this gospel today where the disciples say to, us, say to Jesus, increase our faith, and Jesus answers in what I think is a kind of strange way. But I think there's, there's two things I think about as I walk away from it this week. You know, the first one is that there is good news in knowing that a little bit goes a long way sometimes. Because sometimes all I've got is a little bit. And where God is, a little bit becomes enough. Because God is a God of abundance, not a God of scarcity. And the second thing is, you know, we, we are given this will, this ability to choose, but sometimes in our faith, the basic things are decisions that are already made for us. The decision to forgive, even though sometimes it's hard for us to come to terms with that decision. The decision of who we should love, God tells us everybody. That's, that's not hard, right? Well, it is hard, but it's not, it's not a challenging concept. You know, how are we supposed to to live our lives in a way that pleases God by, by making the choices that we've been called to make, trusting that God is going to make the little bit we have enough. As we go out from this place this week, how is it 
that we are going to be the people in the world that help others to see God through us, through our forgiveness, through our love, through our presence with them, through the way that we allow other people to have their humanity in the way that other people allow us to have our humanity. You know, it's, it's simple, but sometimes it's so hard. And thanks be to God that sometimes a little bit really is enough. Amen.